I'm Boris Lamont and you're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we're speaking with Guy Porter from Bellbird Spring in the Waikato Valley, North Canterbury, New Zealand. Uh, Guy founded the winery there along with his family back in 2002 and is currently the winemaker. So right now, let's go have a chat with Guy. Hello, Guy. Hello, how are you doing, Boris? I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for coming along. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you here. So where did your wine journey begin? Um, well, I think it started um, probably in late adolescence, I'd say, probably. I uh, had a fa- fascination with food. Um, I remember, I don't know if it's a thing that boys do, uh, but uh, um, I had, you know, we have collections, you know, collections of stuff. And, and I remember I, I started off with a collection of wine labels, um, which was, I think, a little unusual. Right. Okay. Um, like off off bottles. Yes, I would. Right? I would um, and uh, and I have a distinct memory of um, uh, pro- buying wine underage from, uh, but you know it was it wasn't the uh, the offy. It was uh, the local independent wine merchant, and right, I was okay. buying Cru Beaujolais. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, from a start, I had I had um, I had ideas. You had yeah yeah yeah. So just and that just sort of came about. You just um, I think just I found these things fascinating. I found right. food fascinating. I was very lucky. Um, um, we'd lived uh, as a family abroad in 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 a number of different places. Um, uh, I, I was born in India. We lived in New Zealand when I was young. We lived in the UK and, and travelled a little bit. So um, I think I was exposed to a number of different cuisines and the idea that there was interesting stuff to eat um, and at home mum produced fresh food, um, whatever it was. Um, and uh, the quality of food was important. Not necessarily very complex food, but the, the, what it was made of. Right. That it yeah. was fresh and prepared. Yeah. As important, and I think uh, you know that, <clears throat> that that sort of channels your thinking a bit. Mm. Um, and when I left school, I studied hotel catering. Which so uh, where were you then? I was living in um, in Salisbury okay. in the UK mm-hmm. at that stage, and um, I studied hotel catering over about four years, um, and did a bit of chefing, a little bit in pubs and. Uh, Wash dishes, uh, stuff like that. Um, I was trying to think, and t- uh, th- th- then in the s- in the course of that, in the second second uh, course I did, I, I I did an evening class in um, it was WSET advanced um, wine course, and uh, and I thought, wow, that's that's really good. This is interesting. Right. Okay. And I think I, that decided I I hooked onto something I really liked. Right. Yep. Okay. So when when was that for you? How uh, this would be um, late eighties. Late eighties. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that was so that, that so you went and you did those studies. Did the uh, so I finished my course. Yep. Um, got a job in the in the UK wine trade. Worked for a small independent wine merchant in Buckinghamshire. So okay. Sort of rural England. Yep. Um, but just just outside London. Uh, it was attached to a Relier Chateau hotel. So we had an awesome wine list at the hotel. The the wine shop was managed by someone who uh, found sourced the wines for the hotel. 
So we got to see, as people working in the wine shop, had a fabulous range of samples, interesting things coming through. We were close to London, so I was really lucky that the manager I worked for would let me go to the London tastings he didn't want to go to. Right. Like, like on my day off yeah. or whatever, you know. So yeah. uh, I got to see a range of um, European wines that was... No, really, probably extraordinary. In a, in a couple of years, I, I had a, a chance to see a whole bunch of stuff that was really exciting right. and formative. Right. I think it's sort of developed a palette. You know, like uh, what I what I thought was good wine. Yeah. Um, was uh, the the stuff I had tasted at that time? I, I suppose. Right. Okay. And so, and so then it was mainly European wines that were coming in. Yeah. 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 Well, we um, you know. It's a, it was a Relais Chateau Hotel. It, was, it had a pretty conservative list. A lot of German whites, uh, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne. You know, mm. it was, mm. it was the, the classics. Yeah. And, um, but interestingly, we were starting to see some of the, the sort of that, that wave of um, high-quality New World wines coming through at that stage. I remember uh, we did a wine fair at that uh, merchant's which included um, uh, Cloudy Bay. Um, we would have had, um, you know, some some pretty good uh, producers from the New World starting to come through. So when when when's this? When are we sort of talking around about now? I would have been so about ninety ninety one. Okay, early nineties. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. So you were there for some time. A couple of years, two, yep. two, two and a half years, and then I had a chance. Uh, an opportunity took me to Australia. Um, I got a chance to work in a vineyard uh, in WA um, and uh, from there thought right now I want to study actually at the time I thought I want to study viticulture uh, found out about the Roseworthy course in South Australia um, and I started that about 93, 92, 93 mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. um, that was four years um, left in 97 um, that was really interesting in itself. Um, learnt about how to make modern New World wines. That's that's what they taught. Right. Um, so a lot of uh, the the, t- the teaching was about squeaky clean winemaking, um, uh, which which you know, and that's what I I decided was the, was the the best thing in the world at that, that stage. That was. That was the, the, the way you made wine. Um, and it wasn't actually until probably a little bit later, once I'd finished the degree and started traveling and got a chance to work for a couple of companies in Europe. Uh, Inama would be the one that stands out. I did a vintage with a Suave producer. Um, and uh, Inama produced some fantastic full-bodied whites, uh, from Garganega and um, also Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc, uh, but made in a in a must oxidized style with a lot of skin contact, um, and um, you know this this blew me away. And suddenly I started to realise that the, the the fresh fruity styles of wines that, that we had been taught to make at university weren't actually the ones that I had appreciated as. Um, a young man working in uh, for a wine merchant. Right. The, yes. the, 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 the traditional techniques that were used to produce broader, more complex, less fruit-driven wines were in fact um, 
the antithesis to what was being taught in in mon, modern winemaking courses, and uh, and that actually for me, produce more profound and interesting wine. Right. Yep. Okay. So And so how long did you spend over there? Uh, well, I, I, I moved around a lot. I, okay. For about eight years, I worked yep. as a flying winemaker and I moved and worked for a couple of different companies uh, and did vintages in Spain, Italy, South Africa, Australia, California. Oh, okay. So all over, not just around Europe. Yeah. You sort of, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and which is great. Um, it, it certainly broadened my outlook. It made me appreciate, a, a, you know, Wait, there was a lot of different stuff mm. going on I, I'm probably just a bit of a culture junkie as well uh, I just the idea that you get dumped in a space and uh, you have to shop at the local supermarket and buy what guys buy and meet people and work with them in uh, another language really was about you know, for me that's about as good as it got right. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I enjoyed that immensely I found that 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 as much as the winemaking probably was, right. you know, the driver to move to new and different places. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I was making when all said said and done. When all is said and done, I was making what was romantically referred to as first tier bottle product. That's to say, inexpensive wines that enter the supermarket shelf at you know at the bottom end of the range. Um, and clean, fresh, fruity wines they might be, but they're, they're not, I don't think, emotionally satisfying uh, if you're you know, completely immersed in what you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, I, it, it, want, it led me to, to, to want something else. And uh, in 2002, um, my parents returned to New Zealand from the UK, and with that came an opportunity to start a vineyard. Um, and um, and actually bring our family together because we'd become quite disparate. Um, my my brother was working in London. My sister had already returned to New Zealand, and um, it was the fact that she had a baby around that time that drove the family to come together again, okay. which is really great. Um, so my parents returned to New Zealand. They were looking for a place um to live uh, something with a rural aspect fairly close to Christchurch so North Canterbury certainly you know offers itself up um I desperately wanted to run a vineyard um and uh, they agreed to kind of meld these things into into one right yeah yeah good very good right. and so had you previously known much about the Waipata region or um, no, probably not. Actually, mm. uh, I, I think um, I think I, ha- I mean I had visit. I had the the vineyard site that we ultimately per- we purchased in or the or the ag- piece of agricultural land that we purchased initially. I had already visited before we bought it. Before mm. my parents had said they would go ahead, so. I think there was a, there was an element of, of intention on my part. I had been I had been travelling in New, within New Zealand, and I had looked around. And uh, so, when they said, "Hey, look, guy, we think we've found this nice block of land where we want to live. Do you think we could put a vineyard on it?" And I said, "Where is it?" And they go, "Well, you know, da da da." And I said, "Well, I've been there. Yes, that would make a fantastic vineyard." I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had already been snuffling yeah. around with uh, yeah. estate agents looking for suitable <laughs> vineyard yeah, sites. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I guess that I, I had looked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and 
what was the region like at that time when you oh. planted there? Were there a few around already? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, you know, so, some uh, classics like Pegasus Bay, who are uh, found, founding sort of founding brands, founding families for mm. the area. Um, um, and there are a few we don't see now anymore, which is very sad. The last uh, decade has been pretty hard on small-scale winemaking and sm- small growers. Mm. Um, uh, and then there's some who've, who've come in as well and joined, um, so that's, which is good, mm. which is good. Mm. Mm. And so w- what was the first thing that you planted yeah. Um, well, well. The f- before I did anything, I asked a lot of questions. I went and and I was I was still in- incredibly grateful for the time that um, some of the producers gave me to tell me about, you know, the problems they'd had or issues that they'd had to deal with, what they what, what had worked for them. Uh, so um, the f- sort of format in the first instance I came up with was um, a vineyard which was based around Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, being the signature varieties for New Zealand. Um, I had hoped that we would be able to develop a, an export business. Um, uh, I had contacts in the UK with whom I hoped we would develop that business. And, um, and then uh, on top of that, I wanted to try some varieties that, uh, that were, which originated in Alsace, um, things like Pinot Gris, a little bit of Riesling, a little bit of Muscat, and a little bit of Gewürztraminer, um, as I felt that they, they they ought to do well as well. Um, and in fact, I think the, looking back, the the interesting thing is uh, to see how well Pinot Gris is suited to to North Canterbury and how what what really fantastic wine it, it makes. Mm. Um, I think it's truly underrated. Mm. Mm. And so, so you, you you did your research, and mm-hmm. uh, what did you did you decide to kick off with any one particular thing? Or well, did we you set up. I set up in the first vineyard in two thousand and two. Yeah, uh, with those the varieties I mentioned. Okay, uh, and as as a planned yep. development. Right. Okay. And then two so years all of all of them. So yes, quite indeed. A, yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. then two years later, uh, we spotted another uh, another block of land which okay. uh, we wanted. Uh, the the first block became home the home block and the second became block eight mm-hmm. which is block eight is where I I live with my family mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and similarly uh, a, a range of varieties um, with Pinot, including Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris right yeah yeah okay and so what's been the what's the the journey been like. Um, over the last sort of what are we talking now? Sort of fifteen, yeah, sixteen yeah. years. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, it's a, I think um, things like the global financial crisis um, and the following years made things very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you exporting yes, a bit by then? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Um, so I think there's some you, you can there's, you can certainly have some pretty big ups and downs mm. uh, that that uh, throw throw some pretty big challenges out there um, but um, there's also been some fantastic fantastic stuff you meet a lot of really interesting people along the way um, and uh, I, I think it's uh, still a, a life that's really interesting I, I, I think it's probably become less all-consuming for me than it used to be but particularly as I you know I, 
in the intervening period I've married and have children and and those things occupy a much larger portion of your life mm. Um, mm. so I think you have a more balanced approach but I think having a family on a rural block in which you can grow grapes make some wine and uh, raise animals is is a really cool thing uh, it keeps you <laughs> very busy but um, it it's actually a really great it's a great way to live um, it's not an incredibly profitable way to live but it's a, 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 a great way to live um, I lo- my kids understand you know well you know they're, they're um, uh, three and six and they, they definitely understand what sex is about because they they see <laughs> they see it outside mm. on a mm. daily basis you know mm. what I mean it's mm. Uh, mm. they they know where their food comes from mm. We raise poultry, and we kill our poultry, and we eat it. Uh, you know, you know that's. It, it, it doesn't come from a supermarket in yeah. a plastic box. No. Uh, you're not removed from it, and I think that's one of the most fantastic things. Is that you're right in you're right there in a you know in a situation, which I think is like nat- more natural. But if it, if you want for want of a better expression, it's mm. you know it's um, healthy to. To be surrounded by plants and animals and and derive nourishment and income from it that's yeah. that's a good thing yeah yeah and what um you so you, you've got the different varietals mm-hmm. going on and yep. you do some um you do some dessert wines as well would mm. you call them dessert wines yeah yeah, yeah. um so <clears throat> i think um say so the range of wines i make are, are, are probably not particularly mainstream um I, I mean i do produce dry table wines and uh, white wine and red wine f- um that's not fortified and uh that uh, but they nonetheless tend to be um more textural and less fruit driven as i think probably you can from the run up to this point in the conversation you can you probably gathered you know where where i'm going to sit I want yeah. I want wines that fit with food, uh, sit well at the table. They're not overly fruit driven. So those are the kind of some of the, the style considerations that you know that I have when I'm making stuff. But uh, within that, there's actually quite a wide. I think probably or probably quite a wide range of of different wines with I, I like identities that are quite different so um i produce a couple of sweeter wines there's uh, uh mute um which is uh french for fortified effectively um uh, but it, they're a uh, van du naturel style sweet wines uh there's one called mute uh, lalouette which is uh primarily sauvignon blanc uh picked very late so not green grassy but um, intense, and another one which um, uh, Mute les épices, which is a sp- piece of spices. So there's a, it's got effectively the the spicy varieties Gewürztraminer, Muscat, Riesling in it, mm. um, and and these are interesting mm. textural wines with residual sugar. Mm. Mm. And and so, um, how, how's the how's the process change for you as the Wine um, vines have matured, and you've learnt as well over the last, you know, sixteen, 
16 years or so what's what's that sort of meant for you is now when you when you go through the the winemaking process is it um what's the difference if you if you think back to mm. you know 2006 or whenever you were producing maybe your first sort of vintages and i don't, I don't know i now do, do i don't f- think i don't feel philosophically a lot has changed no no do you do you feel like the fruit you, you're getting is is, is better older vines better fruit yeah maybe maybe yeah. yeah 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 so not not remarkably it's not something that yeah i i perhaps um people put a lot of emphasis on on old vines and i you know perhaps with perhaps with good justification i i i can't i can't always see it i think if if you've been cropping appropriately when the vines were young too then you should have been getting some pretty good fruit right yeah 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 okay people say there's more complexity yeah no that's that's possibly true yeah yeah um anything in particular that um you've you've enjoyed or has surprised you over the over the last few years and you know there's something that um you've um it's done better than you thought it might have or yeah, well, I gone think differently to, to be honest i think um uh pinot gris has produced uh, more interesting and more profound wines than i'd I'd ever imagined. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 I, I went out of my way to select clones that had a reputation for low production or sm- small bunch structure and stuff. Thinking, you know, well, we're going to try and make something really good. And Pinot Gris has a capacity, or Pinot Grigio, if it's Italian, has that sort of um, reputation for being a f- just a fairly neutral, clean, luggable white wine. Pretty unpretentious. But find that actually, when you're cropping at low levels and you are producing wines that are stru- structured, you, you've pro- you're able to produce wines that are complex and powerful. From um, this varieties, I think was I think a surprise in the end. Um, I think it's it's probably one of the most pleasing pleasing varieties as a result. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and any anything else you think that contributes to. So you're saying there's there's something that surprised you or uniqueness about the the Pinot Gris that you're producing, also the Terroir is that sort of something that you? I, I think, we, think we don't have well, I, like <clears throat> I think one of the things about North Canterbury is that um, that there are actually a multiplicity of um, sites which could grow grapes, and they will have their own identities, but. By and large, you're you're dealing with f- either fairly low vigor situations or um, or climatic um, a climatic environment which doesn't promote heavy cropping. One one of the things about being in North Canterbury is that you tend to have f- uh, spring weather that often is quite cool. Um, and so fruit set is often limited compared with, let's say, four hours further north, let's say compared with Blenheim, where you're much more protected from southerlies. So, you know, you, you're often starting off with fairly, fairly moderate yields. It's, um, you know, trying to cap high yields is not typically a problem in, a, in North Canterbury. It's normally it's the reverse, if anything. Uh, so you, you tend to have very good stuff to work with. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
And anything anything coming up for you? Anything that um, you're thinking, oh, we might be... We've, actually, we've got... Uh, I mean, I think... Uh, what, what Actually, what has... I guess this is interesting. You know, I, I think what has changed a bit over the last decade is probably my feeling that I, I want not just a vineyard and winery, but something that's a farmlet that's a more complete unit. And, and that has come out possibly because we've got a family and then we start to do stuff uh, that's sort of you know, more good life-y. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're into pigs. That's That's been the the, the biggest thing yeah. recently. Yeah, and, and that's got nothing to do with wine. But then I think philosophically having a a vineyard or farm unit that does a bunch of different stuff is um, ethically better, um, morally good um, to have a range of a diverse range of of food types and um, different activities taking place. Uh, so yeah, so pigs. We were into Wessex saddlebacks, um, which we now sell commercially in very small quantities. We do them. We produce them seasonally, mm. um, and uh, they're an integral part of our life and business now mm. so that's that's another thing um we do which is you know quite fun yeah yeah and you went down the organic route as well definitely yeah. so um i think um from about 2014 uh we did start doing the changeover we had in any case by that stage eliminated um a bunch of stuff from our spray programs you know you're looking at someone who um had a pretty orthodox um university um education bachelor of agricultural science you know looked at leaders in our field they all use conventional technology use of sprays and stuff Uh, but as i got into it uh i liked it less and less once i actually practically applying it and using machinery and applying sprays and stuff i I started off from a, actually a, a not health and safety thing to just try and minimise yeah. health risks at work. Your exposure to it, and mm. um, and, and the people working with me, and mm. and the family as we're living as a family on on the site, it makes you, I think, really aware. Mm. Um, and with that, we started saying, "Oh, we don't really need that. We can use less of that. We don't need that. We don't need that." Um, and you more or less came down to. Uh, the stuff that you're required to use for organics. Uh, so it was in about 19, t- 2014 we did started to like change over, and in 16 we got um, com- completed our conversion. So, right, right, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's that's good. Right, and um, what's coming up for for you? Anything sort of. Um, new on the horizon or have you seen something else that someone else is doing that um you know either in new zealand in the industry that's um piqued your interest that you th- you think is um is of interest that's going on or even something that you've you've experienced offshore or somewhere else some other no market? i uh, i'm sorry I, uh to disappoint really i um i quite like what the <laughs> i like the 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 setup i've got i like um i like making food wines um so i may produce more different odd funky little things you know like we've, i've done a van schoen style wine in the last few years i've made these van du naturels and stuff 
maybe something else will pop up mm. but at the core it's going to be about trying to make things that go well with food right yeah that's that's what it's about it's it's the the thing that drives us you know like as humans having meals together is a very like our sociability our, you know, what it is to be human it's just locked up in in shared food and wine is part of that so i just you know uh i want to do more of the same do i more think of that. yeah it, any any you've got any particular favorites in in matching you know maybe the the pork with something that um, uh, yeah, yeah. you know you're always you're always going back well, to well i i'll tell you what i um i i really i you do uh, like the twice cooked pork belly and the souvoir is a killer combination right right yeah. okay okay nice mm. yeah mm. yeah um good and so um we finish on, mm. um, and you can have a bit more time to think about this. If you sure. like. We can uh, we can pause it. Mm. Uh, the question of uh, if you could have any glass of wine with anyone, uh, living, dead, or maybe haven't yet come along, what wine would it be, and who would it be? Yeah, I, you know, I I I have thought about that, and um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I'm probably not going to answer your question uh, satisfactorily <laughs> because um, I think. What makes I think it goes back to it doesn't matter what the wine is. I don't think it matters what the wine is. It just has to be enjoyable in, and it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, so it, it can be. It's like it's, if it's a group of friends and it's enjoyable wine and you're having a nice time and eating stuff together and chatting. Yep. That's all it has to be. It doesn't have to be someone special. So yep. I hope that's not too much of a cop out. No, but, no, that's but fine. I think that's no, you, yeah. You, um, there's, there's no wrong answer, I don't no. think. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're coming back to it. It's very much about the the occasion and, and the sociability about mm. a meal, it being around a meal as well, and the sharing of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fundamental. Yeah. Let's do yeah. what we are. Yeah, no, that's right. And that's what um, uh, I think gets in, embedded in our memories, isn't it? If we mm. think back to something, it's, Good the, times. it's all the components of that, isn't it? You know, the yeah. wine, the food, and the people that we were with, and maybe the place we were as well. Yeah, too yeah. true. Yeah. Very good. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks, Guy. We appreciate that. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Cool. All right. Well, bye for now. We've been speaking with Guy Porter, the winemaker, and with his family, one of the founders of Bellbird Spring in Waipara Valley in North Canterbury. If you'd like to find out more about their wines, you can go to bellbirdspring.co.nz. And also be sure to check out some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts for stories from others involved in the New Zealand wine industry. And you can also find us on Instagram, NZ Wine Podcast. Be sure to also check out some of the other great podcasts on podcast.nz. So until next time, thanks for listening in. Hey, Kona mai. Bye for now. <laughs>